You're listening to the Super Talk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Yes, hello and welcome to the Super Talk podcast. My name is Tyrell Mills. Today we're talking global markets with a focus on the US to help us get our heads around what is one of the most pressing uh, of current topics. We have Mr. Ron Temple, Managing Director, Head of US Equities and Co-Head of Multi-Asset Investing at Lazard Asset Management. Ron, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you. So to begin with, uh, I guess the word uh, of today is protectionism. Uh, I'm going to get you to talk us through that a little bit, just a bit of a, how we got to where we are and a bit of a, a general definition. Great. Uh, so um, the protectionism story and US trade policy have really evolved over the last few years. Um, I think for many years there have been different concerns in the U.S. across the political spectrum about the pros and cons of free trade. Um, If you go back even 20 years ago, 25 years ago when the U.S. was voting on NAFTA, there were concerns about what free trade with countries like Mexico and and countries in Asia would do in terms of labor uh, wage levels, in terms of environmental standards. So you might say at the left end of the political spectrum there was always a concern of a, a race to the bottom in terms of wages and environment. Um, at the right end of the spectrum, historically, there was a view that you were opening new markets, making supply chains more flexible, increasing productivity and corporate profits, and that as a result of free trade, the economic pie would grow larger and everyone wins. And a lot of the debate historically was always over how do you fight over trying to protect the people who lose in that growing pie situation. What's transpired, though, over the last few years, in particular, I think, where the politics in the U.S. changed is if we look at the 2016 election when there were 17 Republicans um, and basically three Democrats running for office, no one was willing to defend free trade anymore. And I think Donald Trump in particular took a very strongly anti-trade role in terms of the debates, um, explaining, as he would frequently say, that the U.S. was being, quote, ripped off by the Mexicans, Chinese, and Japanese. And so there was a frequent, frequent refrain that trade was the source of your ills, And what he did is he effectively tapped into economic anxiety and an economic stagnation that basically basically, um, uh, harmed the middle class for decades, 20 to 30 years. Now, that originally started off as blame this for your issues and blame this for why you haven't progressed and seen real incomes and real wealth build. Um, But it's actually evolved since the election from a your economic anxiety is sourced from trade to a trade deficit topic, which became a topic of well, wait a minute, Is this is all about intellectual property theft. And then it evolved to a different facet, which was, is there, fair, is there fair market access for companies who want to sell in China? And then ultimately, industrial policy from China in and of itself being an unfair practice because you get kind of implicit subsidies through the banking system and other protections. Now, those were all economic issues, but where we are now is that there is increasingly a bipartisan view in Washington that trade and China are really more of a national security issue. So it's been somewhat surprising that in three years we've gone from viewing China as a, an economic competitor, um, a very worthy competitor arguably, to a national security threat and a strategic adversary. And so, and so when I think about protectionism, initially the arguments or the policy measures that were taken by the Trump administration primarily involved tariffs. Um, and basically trying to force companies to reorient their supply chains, become less dependent on China, and also to try to basically force China to negotiate better access to the Chinese market for American goods. And you might recall initially the Chinese offered to buy more soybeans and to buy more natural gas and other commodities, effectively just buy more American stuff and buy off the Trump administration and make this go away. 
But unfortunately, the trade issue has actually expanded, evolved significantly, and I think it's underestimated outside the U.S. and even within the U.S. how difficult it is when you turn an economic issue into a national security issue to negotiate. And I think that's also led, by the way, to policy tools being different. Instead of just using tariffs, in the U.S. in August of last year, we passed the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act, uh, FIRMA and the Export Control Reform Act, um, ECRA, which significantly expanded the oversight of the government in terms of foreign investment into U.S. companies, as well as giving incremental authority to restrict trade in certain emerging and foundational technologies. And the reason that's important is if you think about the Huawei example where the U.S. has been on a crusade to try to get countries not to use 5G from Huawei, that I think is just the beginning of a longer-term technology struggle where the U.S. goal is to prevent the transfer of emerging or developing technology to China because there's a fear that that technology could have dual applications to military purposes and lead down the road to Chinese military superiority. So, so this is a multifaceted, incredibly complex issue um, that I think will be very dis- uh, difficult to resolve in any short term. Um, I tend to think this is a 10 to 20 year kind of story, not a one to two. I would just caution, by the way, there is definitely a chance in the next six months that you see an announcement on a Monday morning or a, more likely a tweet Um, that the U.S. and China are talking again, and as we lead up to the 2020 election, it would be no surprise to me if Trump tries to salvage some kind of victory to be able to run a campaign saying, I was the tough guy with China. Um, But but I would not count on any of those resolutions that you might hear about in tweets, or even if it's a signed agreement, being a longstanding one, because I do think this is bipartisan, and it's much more than Trump. So if Donald Trump were to become friendlier with China to stoke confidence in voters... Uh, Do you think we'll perhaps see China make some meaningful movements towards rectifying any of the legitimate issues that the U.S. has, such as the intellectual property laws that the U.S. would like to see changed? I I think initially China was trying to find a way to appease the U.S. Um, One of the things I heard frequently from Washington was that the Chinese side did not even know who they should talk to because historically the U.S. trade rep and the Department of Commerce would be the ones who handle trade negotiations but this administration is unlike any other in modern American history. Um, so yeah, more than a little. Uh, and effectively, what you're finding is the Chinese tried negotiating with Wilbur Ross, who is the Secretary of Commerce, um, and they tried negotiating with Steve Mnuchin. But then they found that whatever they negotiated wasn't satisfactory to Trump. And so they had a hard time knowing, A, with whom to negotiate. And then B, if you think about any negotiation you might have, if you're negotiating to buy a house or buy a car, you know that the other side's trying to maximize the price, you're trying to minimize the price if you're the buyer. The Chinese couldn't figure out what exactly the U.S. wanted. I mean, was it that China should buy more American products and reduce the trade deficit? Because that's easy, right? A centrally planned economy, you can easily turn the switch and buy more soybeans. But I think over time, it's been harder and harder to define what, what the U.S. wants. And so I think what you're seeing on the Chinese side, and I think it's very important in the U.S., being somewhat inward-facing as we are in many cases, people tend to focus on what's Trump going to do without thinking about what Xi Jinping's going to do. And I think the negotiating environment has been become pretty toxic, with Trump openly describing Xi Jinping as the enemy a week and a half ago and making other comments over time. Now, if I'm Xi Jinping's advisor, I tend to think I'm only 13 and a half months away from a U.S. election or 14 months away Maybe if I wait it out, I can get a better deal and negotiate with someone who's more reasonable. And, oh, by the way, if I do make a deal with Trump, am I giving this guy a leg up to get reelected so he can beat on me again for the next four years and say I'm cheating? So I think the dynamic from the Chinese side is probably one where there's less and less interest 
in serious negotiation because they no longer trust that they can have a serious negotiation with the U.S. administration, um, and also where they're more reluctant or loathe even to give the U.S. what might be perceived as a foreign policy victory, and I should say more precisely to give Trump a foreign policy victory. So, so I think there are some aspects where there's a mutual interest, like protecting intellectual property as Chinese technology industry develops and the biotech industry develops. At some point, I think there will be an alignment with the Western world where China wants better IP protections. Um, but I think that's a really narrow segment of this discussion. So it's hard for China to give enough to get to a final um, agreement at this point. So just looking forward to 2020 U.S. election uh Protectionism, is that going to be a big, a big impact? I mean, obviously, the whole U.S.-China trade thing will still be bubbling along as it is. Uh, is. I suppose, does it translate down to the American public, the voter? So I think point number one would be it depends on what happens to the economy. Interestingly, last week, um, at the end of August, there was a survey. It was the Monmouth uh, Survey of Politics it got headlines because the survey showed that the top five Democrats could all beat Donald Trump in an election, which I would discount that view because right now when there are 20 Democrats running against Trump, you haven't had that hand-to-hand combat yet where Trump tries to define his adversary, right? So it's easier to say, I want someone else, but when you really start to get the, the ugly mudslinging, that might change. But the other part of the survey that was really interesting was for the first time since Trump got elected, more people thought the economy was heading in the wrong direction than in the right direction. So 37% said the economy was heading in the wrong direction. 31% said it was heading in the right direction. And largely, one-third of the people unsolicited in the survey said they were worried about trade. And so it depends on what happens with the economy. If the U.S. and China cannot reach an agreement, and if the global industrial, industrial deceleration turns into an outright recession, that then infects the household sector in the U.S. with weaker job growth, weaker wage growth, um, then I think trade could end up being a pretty critical issue in the election in terms of people basically saying, well, I put up with a lot of things I did not like from Trump, but he gave me a good economy. And if that economic story starts to unravel, then you'll see, I think, the moderates in the suburbs in particular really turn against Trump more severely. The other aspect of this, by the way, though, is if the economy doesn't go into a negative turn and if the U.S. continues to negotiate and we have the ongoing sparring and back and forth, this is an interesting one because as it relates to China, the view is pretty bipartisan that A, there is a national security threat down the road, and B, that economically China has taken advantage of the rules and there's not fair access to the market. And so it's a very difficult position for most of the Democrats running against Trump in that they generally agree that there's a problem. They often say the problem is the right problem, you're just addressing it the wrong way. Well, if you think about a political campaign, that's not a very invigorating campaign slogan of right problem, wrong way. So I don't think, you know, absent an economic slowdown as a result of trade, which I do think you're likely to see, um, it's hard to see it becoming the top issue um, on the campaign trail. Dr. Stephen Kirchner is the Program Director, Trade and Investment at the United States Studies Center of the University of Sydney, and he joins us now to give us a bit more of an insight into exactly how things are going to be shaping up around the U.S. elections in 2020. I think it'll be one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue, because in many ways this is the defining policy of the the Trump administration, so... President Trump has initiated a trade war with the rest of the world uh, with a view to negotiating uh, what he sees as a better outcome for the US uh, in terms of uh, global trade. Uh, It is not uh, 
worked particularly well for him at this point. Uh, he has very little to show for it, particularly in relation to the trade relationship uh, with China, and this is something that Democrats are going to pick up on. So Trump has a, a major problem, which is that unless he walks away with a substantive trade deal uh, with China, then people will rightly say, well, what was the trade war in aid of? Absolutely. So the clock is somewhat ticking on that one for President Trump. Uh, You're right, he can't be seen to sort of walk away empty-handed from what is one of the biggest sort of trade upsets of of possibly the century so far. Um, He does need to show that he's achieved something. uh, But at the same time, China's economy is slowing and they can't exactly sit on their hands. They're going to have to show some sort of action or come to the table in some kind of way. I I guess, what are we likely to see happen uh, in terms of trade-offs? Will there be any back-downs from any kind of side in order to achieve some sort of outcome? Well, China has problems as well, so its economy is slowing, and this is partly a function of the return to a more centrally planned approach to uh, economic policy uh, in China. The last thing China needs right now is a trade war. So it's a significant uh, headache for them, but by the same token, that doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily agree to the sorts of demands that the US is making of them. Uh, And those demands are considerable. Uh, The US has a long list of grievances uh, about the relationship between the the state and the economy uh, in China. China is very unlikely to respond uh, to those grievances. Uh, A big sticking point is the fact that The US wants to keep the tariffs in place until such time as China is deemed to be in compliance with US demands. Um, And that could take a long time, which would imply that the tariffs are in place for a long time as well. Uh, So I think this is going to be uh, an ongoing issue. You could, of course, see an attempt at a face-saving deal on part of both parties in the run-up to the, the 2020 presidential election. But I think there's a, a trade-off here between you know, the likelihood of a deal and how substantive it is. Uh, and if Trump uh, agrees to a minimalist uh, deal, then US voters and the Democrats will rightly say, well, you inflicted a lot of damage on the US and world economy and all you got for it was this, this very minimalist uh, trade deal. Uh, so I'm not sure that that's really an option for, for Trump at this point. Do you think the trade war, as we kind of know it, is going to outlast Trump's presidential tenure, whether or not that's 2020 or 2024 or beyond? Uh, is it something that we're in for somewhat of a long long haul, or is it, as, is it as simple as sort of removing Trump from the equation as a result will maybe give us a less volatile uh, sort of environment to maybe back things down a little? I think even if the Democrats had won in 2016, the US would have been seeking to recalibrate its relationship with uh, China on trade and a wide variety of other issues. Uh, China has not turned out the way many of us would have hoped. It's moved in a more authoritarian rather than a more uh, liberal direction. Uh, I think the Democrats have many of the same concerns as the Trump administration uh, in relation to China. Uh, The fundamental problem here is that the international community really didn't hold China's feet to the fire in terms of the commitments that it signed up to when it acceded to the WTO in 2001. And that collective failure to discipline China on trade issues uh, is now something that the rest of the world has to address. Now, the instruments the Trump administration has chosen to address the problem are the wrong ones. 
because they amount to the US shooting itself in the foot. Uh, the correct approach to this would have been to put together a coalition of countries to take on China and the World Trade Organization. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership would have been an ideal vehicle for this. Of course, Trump's first action in office was to pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, so it's really a question of policy instruments. Interestingly, none of the Democratic candidates are criticising Trump over tariffs. They're criticising him over the failure to secure a deal with China, uh, but not the tariffs as such. And the Democrats are not traditionally the party of free trade. So even if the Democrats win in 2020, there's no guarantee that the tariffs will come off. Uh, I think the Democrats, depending on who the candidate ends up being, may choose other instruments uh, with which to, to prosecute the trade war with China, uh, but the conflict itself is not going to go away. So bringing it back down to Australia, uh, thinking about markets and particularly super fund returns, uh, what, what does this all mean for that within the next, let's say, short to medium term, one two, to three to five years? What are we expecting to see? Well, we're already seeing the macroeconomic consequences of the trade war. So we're seeing a downturn in industrial production uh, and world trade. Uh, the U.S. Um, uh, manufacturing ISM came out overnight. Uh, the export orders of component of that uh, is now down to levels not seen since the GFC. And in fact, if you look at developed markets, uh, about th uh, three quarters of the developed market world's uh, uh, PMIs are now sub-50, so in contractionary territory. So we're seeing the macroeconomic consequences. That's obviously a headwind for asset returns uh, across the board. Uh, I think the other thing you're going to see is a return of volatility. So uh, in the last few years, volatility has been quite low. Um, it is now, as of 2018, coinciding with the, the tariff war, it has started to increase. Uh, we're seeing that in, in equity markets uh, in particular. And uh, I think the uncertainty that's been unleashed by the trade war is, is conducive to more and more volatility. So uh, volatility will be another characteristic of the uh, investment environment going forward. That certainly leaves plenty to think about going forward. No doubt in 12 months' time, things will look vastly different to what they do today. Such is the rapid rate that this topic is progressing and developing. A very big thank you to Ron Temple from Lazard Asset Management and Dr. Stephen Kirchner from the University of Sydney for joining us today and giving their time. This episode was produced by Janet De Silva, recorded and edited by Tyrell Mills. We hope you enjoyed the show. For more, head to newsroom.aist.asn.au. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>